0: Hi, everyone. Katie here. I am so excited to head to Indianapolis in September for the brand new Midwest Arts Expo. There's going to be so many great aspects of this conference. There's going to be showcases. There's going to be PD sessions. I'm really super excited that there is a theater for young audiences symposium on Wednesday during the conference and a specific TYA showcase. So happy and excited that they have made space for that part of the industry at the conference this year. I am also going to be appearing on the programming for diverse audiences PD panel on Thursday, September 21st in the morning morning, so I hope you will not skedaddle early, but you will stick around for the last day of the conference and come see me um, on that panel. Uh, I'm also really excited that we're going to have a booth, Booth 251. Uh, so come do some recording, hang out, grab some swag and have a great time. So really looking forward to seeing you all in uh, Indianapolis. Come join us in the Midwest Arts Expo and see you soon.
1: Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Thanks for joining
2: us back here at There's No Business Like. I am here with my friends, Brian. Hey, Josh. Brian Zelmer from KU Presents. Danielle.
1: Hey, it's Danielle Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia.
3: Kevin. It's Kevin Maynard from Quad City Arts, split in the border between Iowa and Illinois. And our friend
0: Katie. Hey, everyone. Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Has there been a time
2: in your life where something has happened or someone has kind of guided you in a way that has been transformational to the point that it's shaped your life or career path?
0: When you ask this question, Josh, it makes me think back to my college days. And when I was first starting out in our theater program, you know, I think my intention was to be a performer. But my two professors, Stephen Repsch and Megan Wilkerson, quickly put me into a stage management and direction track. I think they really saw the potential in me to use both my right brain and my left brain together, bring that organizational side and match it with that creativity, um, that I had and put me into this track, which gave me frankly, the skills to be an arts administrator. Like I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that that's where I was going to end up, but being a stage manager, I think is maybe one of the ultimate ways you can prepare for what we do, because you have to deal with, um. Uh, the creatives and the organization and the production side of things and, and, and. And so I'm really grateful that they moved me out of kind of a performance space and into that direction and stage management track, because it really truly set me up for success as an arts administrator.
3: When I was in eighth grade, um, I at the time was still playing football and then I quit football because it was not fun. There's a whole big backstory there, but I'll skip that. And then eventually needed to find an extracurricular and the high school was looking for guys to be in the musical Cinderella. So I went and I uh, was in the chorus for Cinderella when I was in eighth grade. But during that time, I met a woman by the name of Stephanie Adams. Actually, her name is Stephanie Taylor now. She just really encouraged me to stay involved in the arts and in performing. And so when I got to high school, she convinced me to join the speech team and the group interpretation and contest play and fall play, like everything. Honestly, without her... I wouldn't have realized like, just like the impact of the arts. Like I would not have gone down this path and definitely wouldn't be here today.
4: I had a ton of people that played pivotal roles in my life and that changed the course of what I was doing. And I've already talked about my guidance counselor. So I'll talk about another one. My advisor, when I was getting my bachelor's at Metro State, uh, Dr. Marilyn Hetzel, who went by the name Cookie, everybody called her Cookie. I was majoring in theater And I already had the arts side covered, but our program was required to have a a minor. And so I had no idea what to minor in. And she was talking with me and discovered that I really probably was pursuing a track to, we thought, produce theater. And she suggested I take a marketing class. And that opened up a whole new world. I did, and I fell in love with marketing, where I, I even left the arts for a while before coming back to realize that having both of these sides now, the arts and the business side, is what kind of steered me right directly towards the, the true love of my life. And that's arts administration.
1: There's really nobody else that I can think of that um, would fall into this category for me other than my mentor, Chad Herzog, um, who I've talked about on this podcast. But he taught me arts administration and my life fully changed after that. I mean, I moved to a different state. Um, you know, I have, I have a life now that's based in arts admin and I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't found presenting, period.
2: For me, I, I thought I was going to be in a lighting design, set design avenue. I started at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center as tech director and thought I was gonna be there for a few months and move on and jump onto a tour somewhere and and be a touring LD. And like that's that's where I thought my my career path was going. And the city administrator brought me in. Uh, to our office and said, Hey, you're already making a bunch of changes there. We're going to go ahead and make you executive director. And I was literally placed into the path and I have never looked back. And it's probably the biggest pivot that has been most effective in my life. Our guests today, Jeremy Davis and Clay Johnson from the fabulous Equinox Orchestra. They'll tell us a little bit about the nudge that they got from another performer in the direction of how to shape their business and their careers uh it's a really great interview i can't wait for you guys to listen
5: Hey, my name is Jeremy Davis, uh, leader of the Fabulous Equinox Orchestra. I play the saxophone
6: and uh, tell some of the better jokes. The, the, <laughs> the best jokes are from me. My name is Clay Johnson. I'm the lead singer of the Equinox Orchestra, a lifelong friend of Jeremy Davis. And uh, we've been doing this for 20 something years. Mm, we've been doing 20 years with the Fabulous
2: Equinox Orchestra. We've been, Orchestra. Orchestra. We, we've we've been
5: doing it for double that in life. five <laughs> years, yeah, for longer <laughs> with, with other groups.
2: Well, tell us a little bit about that. How did you guys get your start?
5: You know, I we, we well we met in the seventh grade, um, in the uh, band program, and uh, the story goes like this. Basically, the our, our um, we ended up having every class together in the seventh grade, and our mothers figured this out at open house, and they
6: made us. Be friends it was a bit of an arranged friendship if you will yeah. we, we, we rebuked this it was not our choice our mothers uh, chose us to be friends and so it kind of stuck and it, and it lasted we went to um, high school together and college at Louisiana Tech University and formed a lot of bands and performed together and lived together were roommates and all that kind of stuff and just uh, have have remained uh, pretty close ever since in spite of our best best uh, uh, efforts to try and and separate from one another it's it's been successful so we've we've remained close yeah
5: we tell the story all the time but it it is unique it's very unique i mean you know i mean who who gets to do all the phases of your life together with your best friend and end up doing a successful business and traveling all over the
6: world together so it's we're, we're we're truly blessed to do what we do yeah very very grateful when did you decide hey we're we're gonna do music for our lives West Monroe, Louisiana is, is where we where we grew up. And um, I know for, for me, for my family, it never was like doing music professionally never was an option. Like it wasn't even something you even talked about or like, yeah, you can do this or you can't do this. It just was like <laughs> understood that there's no possible way that this could be a, an actual career. Oh, for sure.
5: I mean, I, I went, to, went to college very specifically not to right. do it. I, I'm actually a third generation failed engineer. Just for the record, um, that's a, that's a, that's like a, all three generations failed. As engineers all, <laughs> it's yes. my father yeah. and his father before him and his father before, him. <laughs> It's like you know, it's this thing. But I remember, I remember, you know, being, you know, pretty good at the saxophone making first year Allstate and doing all this stuff and going into college with a scholarship to play saxophone, going into business because my mindset was I could never make a living doing this. I, and I don't want to really, I mean, as much as it's my passion, I want to do something legit and then have this as a, as a hobby and then. In college. Like
6: this isn't legit. Like Like this this isn't isn't (laughs)
5: completely legit. Yeah, going to college, I was very intentionally not trying to be a professional musician. I was trying to do something that was a little bit more straight in the middle of the road. Uh, But the fact was, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have enough scholarship to pay for all of it. So I'm um, working for a living in the music business. We have a band that we started, and all the money in the world that I had come from me playing music. And that just kind of went through all of college. Next thing you know, I'm providing for myself playing music. And of course I studied business and that really informed my look at the music business. I mean, you know, cause everything I was studying in, in school I equated to the business that I was already running. So it just kind of started from there.
6: And even for, for both of us, this wasn't our, our full-time jobs. Like Jeremy had a job in sales and, and he worked in radio and and, uh, and newspaper. And I, had, you know, I was working with churches and, and ministry. And so what we did music-wise for a long time was a side hustle. And um, and then Jeremy took the, the leap, what, was it 12 years ago? It was like 12 years ago to the
5: day, which is crazy. I mean, it's like literally, I, I'd look I'd look at my calendar, but it's in the next two or three days that I I uh, leaped out of my sales leapt, job. Leapt. leapt. I leapted, <laughs> a I leaped leapted <laughs> out, um, just to be accurate with it. Um, I mean, it's crazy, though. You think about it. I am <laughs> have a great sales job with insurance, a wife who's a full-time mother and three kids and insurance, right? And I was like, honey... I think I should quit my job, (laughs) but we did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, you know, paid off all our debt and, and, you know, started to really kind of figure out, okay. I'm making this much money in my side hustle, and I'm making this much money in my day job, and this is my passion, and I'm doing it about t- with about 20% of my effort. And I convinced my wife, and she said, let's do it. And we haven't looked back, man, it's been 12 years. So I imagine it didn't happen overnight once you dropped your job. Yeah, I was very specific, and, and I like to think I was very smart about it. I didn't just recklessly bail out and hope for the best. I mean, I had a I had a plan, I mean, I, and I worked a plan for over a year before I quit the job, so it wasn't like there was there was not the same level of risk.
4: So if there's a student out there in college right now listening and saying, Hey, that's what I want to do, mm-hmm. what was the plan? Can you can you give us some of the highlights? Yeah, yeah. Well, them? I mean the,
5: the simplest plan, the, the simplest part of it was was managing our um, expenses, how much money we had to lay out versus how much money we had coming in. We've met so many students that we've joked about afterward, like that kid's gonna have to be a pharmacist in his spare time to afford lay this out. trumpet habit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because because not living beyond your means is the most important part of it. I mean, if you you can not rack up massive credit card bills and not rack up massive car uh, payments and all this stuff, then you can afford to do this, and that's exactly what we did. We we paid off all the credit cards. We paid off everything. We lived on a budget, so. When I was, my first day of not having a real job, I was not freaking out and, and losing my mind like, how am I going to provide for, for a wife and three kids? So again, it took over a year, I'd say, but it was at least a year of tracking it all mm-hmm. and then taking the jump in. And, and we've literally, I think we've made
6: more money uh, every year. We've been more successful. A Absolutely. Pandemic pandemic yeah. times. Pa- pandemic didn't didn't <laughs> work so well, but yeah, for, for me, it was just, I mean, I, I think um, my advice to, to, to young people is to is to find a, a partner in life that you can do this with. Jeremy much earlier than I did, um, you know, took the leap. I stayed working in, in the church ministry and, and, and the church world for, for a few more years. And I know that, that our friendship, having somebody to, to do this with has been so valuable for me and I could never do this on my own. I know that for sure. So.
2: Was there like a single catalyst moment where you decided I need to get all this in order and get away from my... Current day job and and actually pursue this. Yeah, it was man, for me. It was. I knew. I know the day. I
5: know exactly where I was. It was like the day that I realized that the sales gig that I had, it was not in my best interest to be there anymore. It was like it was a, like any other sales job. I mean, you got to hit numbers, you got to hit quotas, and you may crush it one month, and then you literally have to start over the next month. And there was some value. I mean, I really did feel like I helped businesses grow and and help people realize their dreams. So I enjoyed that aspect of it, but. Finally it hit where like no matter what I do this month, I have to climb this mountain again. And I'm always gonna be judged on a thirty day thing and it's like I've gotta keep producing and keep producing. And then there was also some personality things in there that just made me miserable. And I was like, I just I I don't wanna do this anymore. That was for sure. It was definitely like I, I need to Just for my own sanity, just do something else.
4: What's interesting is the combination of your two different skill sets coming together. Josh and I have seen Mm -hmm. you together on the sales floor of a convention or arts conference, and you guys really work well as a team, not just on stage Mm -hmm. when you're performing, but also on the business side. Mm -hmm. And to me, that seems especially unique because I see a lot of people working alone on the floor, you know, doing their own thing. What I (laughs) see others do versus what I see the two of you do is just
2: really different and unique. Mm-hmm. And you oh. and you both function with like that charisma of a southern southern pastor, yeah, right. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't for for me.
6: I was not miserable, and in, in my other passion. And my other passion is ministry, and it's still something that I really really love doing. And and so I've I've been just been balancing. Okay, well, I, I I have I've got a lot of obligations here, a lot of obligations here, and so it's just been a matter of kind of shifting focus really for me.
2: And for you, like how did you how did it click in your mind that it was time to to go and lean heavier into the music and shift into that shift for more forward into that passion? Yeah. What was what was that catalyst for you? Well, it, it that was a a,
6: a long uh, it, was, it was a long road. I, I was serving at a church. I'd served there for nine years at a church in Savannah. When I moved to Savannah, I said, guys, I want because they asked me to, do, to, to work at this church and I wanted to work at this church, but I also wanted to do music. And so I signed on with the church saying, OK, I, I'm just going to do this one year at a time. And because I don't know what's going to happen with the music. And I need a lot of time off, which was really crazy. I can't imagine the church ever doing this. They're like, sure, come on. We'll give you all the time off you want. And so it started off with like, I need like 12 weekends off uh, uh, a year. And they're like, cool. And then, and, and then <laughs> it, the next, after like, like two years, I was like, I need like 20 weekends off. And they were like, okay. So, I, but I would will, I would willfully say I need a pay cut because I got to be, I have to be traveling more and more and more. And then it got to be just where I felt so guilty because I was still taking a paycheck the church, but we're going on like two, three month tours with the band. And I was, and so finally I just said, okay, I, I, it's time for me to step down and we got to find somebody else to take this role because
2: the music has really taken over. Now you mentioned that you're based in Savannah now. Mm-hmm. How did you get from, uh, Louisiana to Savannah? Great question. Go ahead. Uh, you know, well, Clay had visited
5: Clay had done some summer work with churches there and, um, in Savannah, in Savannah sorry. Yeah. And, um, and one day he invited, Meredith, my wife, and I out to to just, you know, he was doing the summer thing, and we're like, it was, they had a, a beach house rented, so we came out and just fell in love with Savannah, we're like, this town is hip, and we did it twice, and then on the second visit, we were just kind of overwhelmed with how beautiful and historic, and, 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 of course, if you back up years, years before, I'd made my wife a promise that we would move away from Podunk, Louisiana
6: at some point, And I had no idea how I was ever going to make good on that. And, I, and I, I I, bet him, I, I made a bet with him when we were, when he was still in Louisiana, I said, man, your whole family, all your failed en- generations of, of engineers have not left a 10 mile radius of North Louisiana for, you know, for 400 years. You're not going anywhere. And I made him a bet. He would never go anywhere. And, and I said, if you ever do, I'll, I'll go wherever you go. He you did. He said,
5: if you do it, I'll do it. And, and, uh. That, so, Did you
2: have some hope that this would break the cycle of engineering? Fitting, <laughs> I don't know.
5: <laughs> you know? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> uh, but it was, it, it sat, this part sounds made up, but it really is the truth. We were at Bonaventure Cemetery at the gravesite of Johnny Mercer, right? The That's legendary. In
6: Savannah. It's a beautiful yeah. cemetery in
5: the Le- Legendary lyricist um, that wrote Moon River, Old Black Magic, 1600 amazing songs. And my wife and I stood there and decided that we could do it. Like, we're going to, we're like literally going to do this. And I was still working on radio at the time. Um, and we, we left there, packed up ourselves and, I, and I, we stopped off at, all of us, we were in the, all in the car, we all stopped off at two different radio stations on the way out of town. And I said, I'm a radio salesperson, I'm coming to this town, I'm going to crush it in radio, and I just want you to see my face, because there's going to be a, uh, an, a resume come over. And I end up getting all the three of the jobs that I applied for, and had to pick which one, and... And it did it for, again, a few years to basically completely restart the Fabulous Equinox Orchestra in a new town with new people. And the very first job, the very first gig in Savannah was at the Lucas Theater, sold out probably five times bigger than anything we'd ever done in, in Louisiana before.
2: Wow. It was a, it was a big change. Yeah. Have you always been the Fabulous Equinox Orchestra? And where did that come from? Because that, that as a brand, both of you are so associated with that where did that name come from and has that always been the band uh no it wasn't mm-hmm. it, it started out it's funny it started out on a, it
6: just as a weird little thing we had a um <laughs> <laughs> yeah our well our official the official title. Of um, for the IRS. Oh yeah, it's, it's great. It's Jeremy normal. Davis and, and the, the fabulous, fabulous Equinox Jazz Band. Aw- <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's awful. Because I get the I get the, when I get my ten ninety nine, it's always so, from the. It, it, it started out. We had
5: another very, very wordy, wordy <laughs> very wordy, long for a marquee. Lots of lots of vowels in there. We um, ran out of letters. ran, ran out, of letters. out of letters, we got to change the name. So the band before we had the band that we had before Equinox was called Howard Shaft. It was the college band we played with for years, and the bass player for that band is the bass player for Luke Bryan, and the drummer for that band is now the drummer for Chris Stapleton. We learned a lot
6: doing Howard Shaft. Howard Shaft, all of us. There were seven guys, pretty much seven guys, and we all went into the gig just understanding that we were going to split the money seven ways equally. Whatever we made, we we're going to split it seven ways, um, and it and it was a pretty uh, bad experiment in socialism because Jeremy would do all the work. I mean, Jeremy was the one that was hustling the gigs. He was doing the phone calls. He was doing the marketing. He was he was doing all the ads and all the things. <laughs> and then we were all getting pissed off at Jeremy for for whatever they didn't get done, and then we we're all splitting the money seven ways. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and after a while, it got to be pretty obvious that you know this is not this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like he's doing all the work. And was was
2: Howard Shaft a jazz set uh, too? Yeah. It no, was no, no, like no. a funk band, like it
6: was Parliament, you know, yeah. James Brown. It, it was, was Tower Power. I mean, it was it was Earth, Wind & Fire kind of stuff. And we were, we did the the bar scene and the college circuit. I mean, and it was successful. We did like 250 dates a year. It was we, fun, we it was, but it was wild.
2: There was obviously horns involved. Too. Oh, yeah. There was a whole <laughs> yeah, bunch yeah. of horns. And and, and, the, and I remember the day that
5: there was a legendary singer named Gigi Shin. And Gigi was in um, a band called Chase in the 70s. You Google I mean, The dude is legit. And he's since passed on. Uh, but he was kind of like a mentor. We became friends. I played in his band and he, after Howard shaft ended and I started this new thing, he's like, he's like, Jeremy, you're doing this all wrong. You're the one doing all the work. And these other turkeys, you just dragging them along with you. You got to change that. This is your project. You need to pay yourself and you need to
2: pay them because they work for you. So that informed how I changed the name or whatever. But So that was your first like influence was somebody that you respected, looked at you and said, all right. It's time to actually learn this as a business. Oh yeah. yeah. It's well, time to learn this well, as a business for sure. and treat it like a business and not like your buddies hanging out spending well, some money. It, exactly, it was very exactly. much a
5: business before, but I, like Clay said, I was I was doing all the work and everyone else was just getting paid equally. And then of course I think at one point I started getting like twenty percent more. But it was but it was like I was managing these guys. Literally I had to show up at the first gate. We went out for three nights. <laughs> and I had to show up with a money bag, with enough cash. To float these dudes through the two get ga- next gas they stations, they would all. To buy show up. Food.
6: I wasn't like this, but the other guys were. They, they would all show up broke <laughs> with no money to do a week tour, and, and they would have zero dollars to their name. And so Jeremy figured out he had to have money to pay the guys yep. beforehand so they could eat a burger on the way. And I had did. to plan the stops,
5: and the bus guy like, if I stop at this place, it's going to be $65 for these idiots to grab
3: get <laughs> some food. And
5: so again, man, we learned, I mean, we like to say we learned all these lessons the hard way. The wrong way. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and then yeah, after, the and after doing that for years and, and then traveling all over the country doing it, starting equinox was just fresh it was like all the lessons that i'd learned just it was just it you know as a business person it was really like you were saying Joshua. just became like much more of a legit business and and it's it's just gosh it's grown i mean going from you know nothing to hitting like you know 1.2 million in revenue in one short little season it was like so we
2: we've we've come a long long way mm-hmm. i love that the catalyst for you changing how you were doing it came from someone in the business mm-hmm. saying hey oh yeah you need to you need to reevaluate and that and that's what's one of the most wonderful thing about this industry and this business is that so many of us are so free to share which is why oh, you guys yeah. are here today yeah, yeah um and so now that you have progressed and you move forward and you're touring a lot mm-hmm. um what were the logistical issues as you started to do more and more, that you had to overcome. <laughs> well, we have a we have a bunch of logistical issues right now that
5: we've never been dealing with before. Because, and it's a long story, but we have a now have a tour bus, and with a tour bus comes, a, I mean, it's it's a massive upgrade in lifestyle, the way and, and and I mean just the way that you feel when you do the gig. I mean, because you're not driving all night. Ha- uh, what is it, driving all night, hands, wet on the wheel. You know, it's like, that's, I'm not doing that anymore. Like Now I'm, we're literally sleeping in our own bed on the road in a bus with our whole band. Um, but that's expensive. You know, you, you, I see people um, complaining about $400 or $200 putting gas in their car. I mean, this thing is like over $1,000 to just fill up. Uh, of course, you can drive three quarters of the way across the country on that. But you've got bus drivers. So there are a 1,000 um, uh, logistical things on every
6: gig. Um, and and of course, at, with all these extra responsibilities, we we need we need a team. I mean, it, it's we've learned. And Jeremy, I, I, I give him credit for this. He had to, and it was hard for him to do this because he had to release some responsibilities. Like he's, I mean, Jeremy's awesome at managing things and running things, um, but you know, he had to learn how to. Like trust other people to yeah. take some take some responsibilities off his shoulders because he wanted to. Yeah, you know, he was the one that wanted to plan the thing and and still have all the same all the same duties. At, well, after and,
2: thirty years of doing that, oh yeah, yeah. it's yeah, hard yeah. to let that go. There were, there were phases, it seems, and exactly. now you have Brooke on your team, right? Well, we got a, a, a huge we got a, team. Yeah, we got Brooke. Yeah,
6: yeah. We got Tommy. We had we had. Uh, we, we have we another have two assistant. assistants, yeah. Yeah. So, and so I mean, we have all these folks that it takes to to, to put and, this thing together. And to that point, there's a book called
5: Rocket Fuel that really, um, recently, has seriously influenced the way we do things. And it really talks about um, visionaries and integrators. Like most of the visionary worlds, visionary uh, the world's greatest visionaries, they have integrators on the team. And they and the book talks about like maybe like one percent can do it all, but the rest of us can't. Um, and what i've learned that is i am i am at my happiest when i'm just in my lane i'm just doing what i'm good at and i pass this off to to this assistant pass this off to Tommy our, our musical director slash you know social media manager or I hand this to Brooke and then Clay's got a set of things that he does really really well um, and 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 i've come so far from being like this kind of control freak that had to do everything to now I'm literally miserable if I'm out of my lane. I'm doing something that I don't want to do. <laughs> it's like, this isn't bringing me joy. I hate <laughs> this. Um, so, um, but that's been a really big part of the growth of our business. Finding a team, like Clay said, that, that has, we all have our lane and we all have accountability, including me. That's the biggest part about Rocket Fuel. It's like, I'm not above any of this. I have to be accountable to what I say I'm going to do. And if I'm not, then we need to change it. And Clay's got to be accountable. And
6: then Brooke, uh, so yeah. there's, you, built you, in You talk about, you about Brooke and the crazy. and brooke great. Brooke is the one that like, we, we realize she's the one that holds us accountable. Like she will send us emails and shoot us texts. Have you done this shit? Have you taken care of this shit? And we, and we want her to do that. We're like, Brooke, you have to, Hold our feet to the fire and make sure we get this stuff done. We very specifically empowered her with that. It's like you you gripe us out, or we don't do these things, and 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 you make us uh, uh, get it done. How big is your band now? Because yeah, yeah. the group that we tour with is twelve. It's twelve
5: of us, Um, and there's several reasons for that. You know, you know, when we went into that pandemic season. You know, we went live every week for 20-something weeks, and we were socially distanced. And at that time, CDC was was saying, you know, no more than this many people in the room. So, And we already kind of had the feeling that we needed to do this. It was the same time that Harry Connick Jr. changed the size of his band and traveled. I mean, he was traveling not with the full big band anymore. So 90% of what we do now is the, is the we called it the covid nineteen We've added one guy to it. Um, so it's 12 of us. Uh, and then we'll expand it to a full big band of 18. And then we'll add strings. So it'll be 26. So we, but 12 is the heart. Okay. That wasn't my question, but that was great information. <laughs> I, I, I thought you asked how big, how big the band was. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> I like to tease
4: you guys. But what I was trying to get at was that you have a core stable of musicians and then you add them. oh yeah, oh,
6: yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah. hire and over the pandemic it was it's great because that we had the same. It really brought together the group that we have now because um, before that, it was just you know we, we have a, a roster of 250 guys that we can call all over the country to come do some work. But during during the pandemic, it's like we have this core group of guys that are all relatively close, and we for a year and a half were just doing all the things together and got to know each other really well and uh, and so that's that but, was uh, a but,
5: but to your question, we do often add guys to the band like like Clay was saying we have our core guys that, that know the show that do the show but if we're if we're doing a show it's not even unusual for us to doing be doing a whole tour with the 11 or 12 of us and then maybe 3 or 4 of those dates are expanded to 18 so in town when we get to town we will we will hire a couple of guys and the skill set is very unique that we hire for them. if there's a young artist out there listening that's getting their chops now mm-hmm. how do
4: they find out how to get hired by a group like yours
5: it's funny because when we play your theater we ended up hiring a local Barry Sax player, and and again the skill set that the jazz school hires for musically is perfect. I don't even have to know this kid's name. I know that he's going to sit there and he's going to play that part perfectly because that's all he's trained to. That's what he's trained to do. Uh, and we don't have to have a conversation about it. You know, what I mean, it's like it's like it's it's this really unique group interpretation of this music that's happening. You know, of course we do rehearsals. They
6: can ask questions or whatever. You're, um you're asking about how, to, how would a young student get get themselves in a position where they could get called upon. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of musicians find themselves in, in that place where they're just waiting for the phone to ring, which is... Uh, most of the time it's not going to happen, right? There, there has to be this proactive going out and, and looking for the, you know, making those opportunities, like going and, and knocking on those doors and making things happen. And so, um, you know, for, for the ones that, that are on our team, a lot of the times they're, they're the ones that, that are coming to us saying, hey, look, I'm in town. I'm, I mean, we, we, get, we get people all the time who email us I'm, I'm in town. I'm a new musician. I heard about you guys. I just want you to know that, that I'm available. I'm here. And, and here's some some video of me playing. And here's some things that I do. And, and here's my skill set. I can arrange some music. I can, you know, play these horns or whatever. And and so it's it's really kind of a proactive approach to, to, to making yourself available.
2: Now, and within that, is there some value to like as a as a young musician going out and playing with as many people as you can? Mm-hmm to expand oh, yeah. your network because so much of it is oh, my gosh. by well, yeah. just verbal recommendations. Yeah, absolutely, right? it is. absolutely. I, mean, yeah,
5: I could tell you, I could tell you a dozen crazy stories about exactly that people, you know, and, and the young musicians, they go to the jam sessions, they go to the blues bar, they open go to the mics, jazz club, yeah, open the mics, mics and do that. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole, honestly, it's a whole skill set beyond just the music that when they really, really want the job that, that really matters. Uh, Cause we've had a lot of young musicians come to us and, and you know we hire them, and they they may do a great job musically, but there's a whole other other set of skills <laughs> yeah. that they don't have, and they don't we don't call them back.
6: We do it. We do outreach programs where we we talk to young musicians about this. Like if you get if you finally look up and get the job, that's that's ten percent of it. The next ninety percent is. Showing up on time, having a great attitude, being eager to help. However, uh, you know, plug in cables, do do whatever it needs to be done. Don't you know, you you serve the the good of the entire band, and and you're going to get called back if you show up and are entitled and are a jerk and and uh, you know complain about everything. Or, then, so, or so
2: much as personality, work
5: ethic, yes, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> or, or or these days, I mean, there. I'll give you two extremes. Um, there's one story <laughs> of a masterful musician who came and played the part perfectly and did not look up from his phone the entirety of the six hours we were around him. The,
6: the hang. Yeah, the, the, hang. the hang before and after. It, it was, was just like he we, was a vegetable. We almost left him. Because we forgot about it. That's the, that's the truth. You know, he was
5: running after the bus. He was running, after and we had to make up excuse to make him not feel so bad. It was our fault. Um, so, so there's that. And then there's another extreme. Um, this, and th- I think this one is the most interesting because you know, obviously we have these, these devices that suck down all our brain cells and all our time, uh, and it's important not to let that ruin the the hang on the gig because there's so much personality. But there's another story that we tell where there's this musician who came play the same part as that guy years before. And he I want to say this right. He played the part absolutely fine. There was nothing wrong with the way he played the part. But he was by far the least accomplished musician on the bandstand. And within six months, he was leaving with more money than anybody other than me. You know, and the reason why is because he made himself useful to me. valuable, he, he, valuable he brought value. He brought extreme value and he was a joy to be around. Like if I was going to be there three hours early, well, he was there three hours early. If I was going to stay there two hours late, he was going to stay there two hours late. He was going to break his back so I didn't have to. And that is such a stark contrast to so many other musicians They come in. And I mean, to their credit, they're hired to do the job. And they come in, and they play the part, and they go home. No big deal. But the ones who really make an impression, I mean, like our, like I said, we were 11, COVID-19-11. 11. Well, the reason we have a 12th man is because a guy showed up who was helping us do everything <laughs> to the point to where I don't ever want to leave the house without him. Yeah, and he happened to be so a, an ace sousaphone player. So on top of being the most valuable dude in the room, literally— we bring him out at the end of the show and he's and he's playing the sousaphone and it makes this huge celebratory exclamation point on the on the night people remember him. we took him to Israel Israel you know I, mean, I didn't even in Israel but I spent several thousand dollars because I wanted him there mm-hmm. and now it, now even we're doing quintet gigs we don't really have the big bit he's there so at the end of the year that cat may end up making more money than some of our other really important people because he's figured out a way like Clay said, to bring real value hmm. Yeah. We've got to use my invention. All right. Go for it, Brian. <laughs> All right. The
4: banana
6: peel. The banana peel. Oh, wait, no, go ahead. Are we about to go back in time? Yes, because yeah. I have a time machine. Oh. Can we do the Wayne's roll? <laughs> <laughs> From
4: now on, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to when you were both just starting college. What would you tell yourselves in terms of the advice or encouragement you needed to hear at that time? This is a Howard chapter here, (laughs) back in the the day.
5: All right, this is a little bit heavy. Okay, this is a little bit heavy. Oh god! Here it is. I mean, it's simple though, because I am telling you, I'm sitting here right now as a result of all of it. I couldn't have you can't you couldn't have expedited me from this young saxophone player to where I'm not, not at all. I had to do all the saxophone stuff. I had to do all the business stuff. I had to do all the sales stuff. I had to fail and be miserable. I had to do every single bit of that, experience every bit of that pain that, my, that I believe that God used in my own personal life to create and to make me into the guy I am. Because I was also a scared little kid who was
6: petrified of standing on stage. Now I'm literally the opposite of that. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that my, my advice to my college self which who was very scared of making big decisions would be just you know just don't don't be afraid just just be bold and 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 make those choices I think I feel like there's some some big things I missed out on because I was just too scared of failure scared of uh, you know scared of of of, you know screwing up royally so um yeah just just be bold And, and I heard someone else say that um, that your 20s
5: are like a workshop <laughs> that's it you know what i mean and if you screw 30s, up 20s 20 30s and but th- you, you're going to you're going to do 10 40s. 12 things that you suck at and that's okay cuz that's going to inform you know you, you in later life and mm-hmm. what you're good at and what you what you know you don't want to do yeah we talked about mentors earlier you guys have both become people's
4: mentors mm-hmm. today what is the difference between what you each needed to be mentored
5: on versus what you are asked about by new colleagues, now. I, I could say this: I, I, we do love the mentoring, and it happens all the time. Like I'll have people call me out of the blue; you don't know who I am. I have a big band in Dallas, and I know that you have a ministry that you also do. How do you manage the two of those? I'll spend all day <laughs> talking about that, and it was it was it was the greatest conversation ever. You know, we talked about Clay being ministry, and the thing is, we've a, we've been able to merge our passions here, where we have our own nonprofit, where we have our own uh, ministry. So we, we love to talk about all this stuff, and that's a great point because what we need to be um mentored on is different than it was a long time ago matter of fact the whole rocket fuel book that i just told you about just came into our life like a year ago and it was because i don't know if you guys are aware of the global phenomenon of the savannah bananas this baseball mm-hmm. team yep they're on espn they're on hbo all of this stuff well there's the main guy and then there's another guy and the other guy's jared and the other guy he and i he spoke somewhere and i just went to him, and i said i want to take you to coffee and we sat down and he's like rocket fuel this is what you need, and for me, it was the major upgrade in life because it takes a team, and they're working in their strengths, and they're working every day at it, and it's completely changed the way we do things. So that's a, a little example of just a really recent mentorship for me, like to learn
6: to make make what we do better. I don't know if the, I don't know if the advice changes. I mean, it's it's still the same, still the same principles of um, you know just. Uh, just being eager to learn, being and and you know putting yourself out there. I, I remember when I was young, um, I had a, a mentor say, "Look, if you if you want to do something, find somebody doing that and go hang around them and and just ask how you can help, ask how you can serve." And so I took that advice, and it's still this. I still hear that same advice, and we give that advice to people of like find somebody who's doing what you love and go ask them, hey, can I? can I carry your bags or can I help you out? Or can I, can I sit at your feet or can I buy you dinner? Or can I just, what can I do to, to, to be around you to help you, um, and, and to learn while I'm doing that. And so that's, that's been valuable.
4: We all got connected by an artist named Dina Blizzard. Mm -hmm. She brought us together and and is how we got to know one another. She told me that you mentored her when she first started doing conferences, (laughs) Mm -hmm. helping her with things like where to get things printed and so on.
6: It's, it's weird because we, I, I think that with, with Dina, you know, I think we look at her as kind of, mentor to us but but with her it was just that was about a relationship just being being friends and seeing somebody who's you know standing in a booth by herself like okay well let's go meet somebody new and, and, and talk to her and see what's up so and we've been doing this a while and we do it all the time now it's like okay well are I mean, like I saw
5: her yesterday. I don't, know, I don't even know who she is. I mean, I think I think she's actually older than me. That's that's old. That's terrible. <laughs> God bless this, God bless this poor woman. <laughs> I'm sorry, going to sound terrible. I didn't mean it that way. Don't,
6: don't but name any names. Wh-
5: what I meant don't is that she's seasoned in life, but I know that she was not seasoned. <laughs> it's not getting in better. She's not getting any better. She's not. She didn't. She had no idea what she was doing, and I could tell in her face. She's like, "This is the first conference she's ever been to," and I was just like, "Look, you." And I just pulled her aside and said, "Listen." A long time ago, we had we had mentors that told us this: some truth, drop some truth. On, it's going to take some time. It's not a rush. Um, it might take you five years to do that because these presenters want to see you for a while before that might that might be booking a year or two years out, and they're not unless you're just overwhelming the awesome. It it might take a minute to to, to build that relationship, and uh, and I kind of shared with her one huge tactic that Clay and I realized after years of doing this that we're not really in sales. This is not about sales. I'm not trying to close the deal with you guys, right? We were friends a long time before we played either your theater. And the idea is we're just going to be friends, legitimately friends with these people. And they know what we do is good. And there'll be a time when it'll work and we're going to need that work in two years. We're going to need it in five years and we're going to need it in 10 years. So Whenever it happens, it's going to happen. I can't force it. I can't, like, force the clothes, you know what I mean? So I just shared all this with the, the gal, and, sh- you know, she was, she. was I, I think she was encouraged,
2: so she was like, thank you. Thank you for talking we to met, me. We um, met on the street, walking down the street in Minneapolis, like, 10 years ago. A long time ago, yeah. And we were literally walking by a restaurant, and we all stopped to look at the same menu, and you guys were just like, you want to have lunch? Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's eat. And so we ate together. Yeah, yeah. And we've been friends ever since. Yeah, yeah. And it was years. It was a few years yeah. before we actually worked together. Right, Me right. too. I knew them for years before they yeah, played yeah, my sure. And And so it's all about, you know, being open to those relationships and open to meeting new people mm-hmm. within the industry and then curating oh, for yeah. sure. that relationship yeah. and
5: friendship. One interesting thing that I've not- noticed, and Clay and I just talked about this this morning, how... Most of the business that really matters for us, like the connections that lead to business, never happen on the floor, ever. They happen watching someone else showcase, or they happen hanging out and having dinner, or they happen last night, they happen on one of our buddies' tour bus, who drove his tour bus, and we're hanging out with a bunch of other presenters, and we connected with this gal, and she loves what we do now. And all the other people in the room completely validated what we did, and we didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So all of the magic happened completely not in any functioning part of the conference. It was just the the hang. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that really, that, that was
6: kind of the a... The hang is important. And the hang is always important.
4: I see that. And there's some people that don't understand that
6: who have been here <laughs> a long time. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. Yeah. You're, you're exactly but, but, right but I mean, everybody has their Everybody has their way they make it work. For us, for us, the hang is important. And for us, the hang is where... Uh, it's where, you know, relationships are made and formed and, and, uh, and we're, and we're, where our futures are established, yeah. uh, because of, of, the friendships we make. But
5: so. it, it is because of our philosophy over it. We're not trying to, you
6: know, pressure anybody in sales.
5: We're legitimately making friendships. We care about the people that we meet. We care about the artists and presenters and we, we build great relationships. And, yeah. and I know that there's real, there's, there's real substance to that. I mean, we've had things, we've had major life moments happen. I mean, even between the us, you mm-hmm. know, where we call each other and talk to each other, you know, on the phone about major things that are going. And, and that is really the proof that this is legit. We're, we you know, we have great relationships here mm-hmm. and, and we're able to speak into each other's lives and, and be a blessing to each other. Um, now, granted, it always doesn't always progress to, to being as deep as the friendships we have with you guys, but um, you know, it's, it, it really is, it's funny how some people don't Seem to understand that, you know, and and you see them in the in the room and you see them out and it's like they're just
6: just all business. All all business. Yeah. There's no way you're going to get this down to 30 minutes, by the way. No, this is great.
4: I think we got some good stuff in there. That was a good practice. So let's hit record
2: now. Hit record. record (laughs) All right. One last closing question. Okay. All right. So at this point in your careers, what is your favorite thing about this industry and what you're doing. My favorite thing about
6: this industry is just uh, spreading joy and seeing people, seeing people's spirits lifted because of what they're experiencing. And th- the fact that I can get to be a part of that is 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 very cool. And, and let's
2: be transparent. That's whether you're on stage or on the conference floor yeah. talking to people as they go by. Exactly. You guys are beaming we, personality I, out there. I love to be an encourager,
6: and, and I feel like that's a, that's a gift that I have is, is to be an encourager. There are so many levels where people could be lifted in their personal life or in their spiritual life or in their relationship life or whatever, but if there's a way that, that I can somehow bring joy to that, whatever that element of their life is, then that... that brings me joy that, that was that was a great answer what, what was the question again <laughs>
5: <laughs> i forgot the question there's so much to be thankful for there's so much that that um there's so much to look forward to we have so many big things on the horizons and again being here at conferences is great being able to speak into the lives of, of young musicians is great being able to stand on stage and be encouragement people take take their minds off of whatever the troubles they have in the world and make them laugh um, there's a thousand points uh, of joy along the way. And I know some of the most special moments that I've had just, is just realizing that how long and crazy this journey has been. I remember being out in the West and, and, and watching the sunrise come up in my own bus, going down the road with, with 12 people that I love rolling down the highway and thinking, I really can't even believe that this moment is real. Everybody's asleep. I'm up. Working and watching the sun come and drink a coffee, and I'm like, I'm thinking, this is insane. How how fortunate I am to uh, to be able to do uh, do what I do, and 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 I really do believe the best is yet to come. You know, and I don't know exactly what that's going to be. You know, it's not necessarily more gigs, but it's it should it's,
6: be. That should be a song. That should be a song called "The Best Is Yet." We should to come. probably we should probably that's write with
5: right That's this. Ah, a stupid idea. No, <laughs>
2: um, yeah. But hopefully, that's an adequate answer. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for being a part of this. It was really great seeing you guys in person again.
3: Absolutely. God bless you. Our pleasure, man. man. Let's do it. It It's fun. Do it tomorrow. (laughs) Josh, Brian, thank you for that. You know, honestly, like thank you to the Equinox boys. They are always a ball of energy. Just like really great to to talk to. And honestly, really great to listen to in this interview. Um, I'm curious, have any of you read the book that they talked about, Rocket Fuel?
0: Yeah, no, definitely on my list. It's on my
2: list. I'm definitely going to. I was actually nodding my head, yes, and then I realized this is an audio (laughs) podcast. (laughs) It's an audio format. (laughs) Uh, it is.
3: It's it's a really like it's a really fantastic book. I ran into it because my father-in-law, and so when he was talking about like visionaries and integrators, he was talking about how like he, my father-in-law, is a visionary. And he was like, you know, I need somebody like Kevin who's an integrator. And I remember hearing that and being like, How insulting, (laughs) because what I heard was like, Kevin's not a visionary, (laughs) which I felt really bad about. But when you like read the book, like it just shows you like how those like things really work together. And like you really do need one of each on those. And it is like it's a part of a series for for entrepreneurial teams. And it is honestly like it's a really fantastic book and a fantastic series. I can't recommend that enough just like them.
0: I love the story of Clay and Jeremy's friendship, how they met when they were in school and their moms brought them together and how they have been best friends ever since. And I think that's such a, a powerful reminder of the importance of collaborators and the importance of deep Friendships and the value of of having creative partners. I think so many times we want to strike out on our own or we want to do things by ourselves because it's easier or it's faster or we you know just feel like oh I can't ask other people or you know I I have to earn it myself. But I think theirs is a perfect example of how friendships and business relationships can stretch over years and years and years and really be a beautiful collaboration. So I think it just is a great example of how like we all can't do this alone. Um, And having people to collaborate with and create with is really an important part of the process. So the part
1: of the interview that I think I really enjoyed was um, when they were talking about getting the job is 10% and 90% is what you do when you show up. And I will say that 10% of getting the job can be very challenging um, in in all different aspects of what we do. I mean, if you look back on it, the people that, you know, you've kind of wanted to go back and work with or the people that you've brought back or the people that you knew were going to get set up um, on their next great thing were the people that really took advantage of that 90% and really showed up when they got there and they got the job and they asked what was next and they asked why. And, you know, they got involved rather than being the one that almost gets left behind. I mean, that's like the perfect analogy. I mean, I'm glad that they didn't like leave that guy in somewhere. Oh, I, mean,
2: I mean, they did just very briefly. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily he ran after the bus.
1: <laughs> but I mean, I hope that guy. Learned
2: the My favorite part about that whole story is the sousaphone player who is now so integral from a logistics standpoint. That he's on every call, whether he's playing or not.
3: You know, I thought it was interesting that they brought back something that I think we hear a lot of times in these. Uh, interviews is that statement of, you know, that I, I, I learned this the hard way. And I just keep wondering, like, why do we keep doing this to ourselves, especially like in this industry? Because consistently we know that all we have to do is pick up the phone, that 90% of people in this industry will happily tell you or share with you about anything that you want to know. And they even reiterated that fact of like, Hey, just get to know somebody, do something. But I also find it interesting that, you know, sort of early on, um, they didn't until somebody kind of like reached out to them and then started, you know, they, they learned that lesson.
4: That's a common thing. And I was in that same boat. And I did when I was new reach out to I looked up and reached out to a lot of my colleagues in the region. And at the time, it, it was a different world. It was pre-pandemic and people have said, Oh, why would I share that with you? Why would I tell you that? And so there are people out there like that. So first you have to know who to go to mm. when you're new. You don't even know sometimes. And like, if you're Josh and you're just thrown into the position, you know, you got to learn that in place catch up. Or if you were like me and you're like, okay, I don't know what I need to know. I know I'm missing some things. Let me reach out to some people that are around me. And then you get the wrong people. Mm. It's like that reinforces that kind of thing. Like, Oh, I'm on my own.
2: So one thing that I really liked is whenever they decided they were gonna go all in, they took time and got all of their personal finances in order to kind of minimize the risk to their own families in jumping off the deep end. There was still risk, obviously, but by consolidating and getting rid of a lot of their debt and and those things to where they put themselves in a safer position for whenever they jumped off that cliff, they didn't have to they didn't have to all these payments that they had to be making at that time. And I thought that was just a really smart way to go about jumping off a cliff is to minimize the fall.
1: And so, yeah, and I thought it was interesting, too. They kind of had to go through that first part of their life and saving money and, and working jobs that weren't necessarily fulfilling in order to be there. And, you know, I think it's hard to be in that first beginning because you can't see what it's all leading to, you know, you just don't know if it's if it's going to happen for you.
4: another economic uh, impact though, is with them moving poor Louisiana state or whatever the college was uh, lost their cash cow for engineering. Skills, <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
0: You know, and reflecting what Clay and Jeremy said towards the end of the interview, to get to this moment in time where they are right now in their careers, they wouldn't change a thing. They have no regrets. Um, everything that they have learned and gone through and experienced up to this point have made them the people that they are and have brought them to this moment of, you know, creative fulfillment and success and, um, joy, right. With their careers, with their families. And they mentioned like all the pain too. And I think it can be really painful to go through failures or difficulties. And, um, you kind of ask yourself along the way, like, am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to, find fulfillment, find my dream, meet my goals. Um, But in reflecting on my own journey and listening to their story, like it really is true that you have to go through all those ups and downs. And I think that can be really difficult for us in our industry because we do put so much pressure on ourselves. We all have these, these different goals um, in doing this work. And a lot of us are perfectionists, right? We've talked about this before, but I really just appreciated them being so firm in the belief that every single step along the way was necessary in shaping them and and getting them to where they are you know we're all midfielders now and i think we all still feel a little bit of that of that fear of being bold and failing and not having another chance But um, it just really, it bolstered me and reminded me of like all the wonderful things along with maybe all those painful moments that have come along the way. Um, And they have all gotten me to where I am today, which is honestly sitting in this podcast studio with my best friends, creating something that hopefully is helping others and is adding uh, to the industry and adding to the world. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the reminder that like every step in the journey is important.
2: Well, you guys, thanks for diving down this rabbit hole with me with uh fabulous Equinox Orchestra. And thanks, Brian, for joining me on that interview, even though I didn't mention it earlier and left you out like you're a forgotten step out. But we've got plenty more interviews coming up. So listen back and catch us again here on There's No Business Like.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vano. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait. What was that site? (laughs) don't worry. It is no business Do I sound out bus? I every time I type it. Yeah, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. Um, but the butt was the period.
0: <laughs> because even though I had a month to think about this, I have nothing else to say. Okay. Can I take mine again?
2: As long as you end it with a but. <laughs> butt.
1: Butt means period. But, the butt's the
2: period. <laughs> butt.
1: How done. do we know where you're done? Because <laughs> I stopped talking.
4: I put the butt okay. in, so I'll remember
1: that. I'm good. Let's do Ryan, it. Ryan, stay away from Katie's butt. <laughs> good, point, good point. She's the only one that can do her butt. A- Strike. Somebody else talk. But
4: <laughs> Butt is not a period or an end of a sentence. <laughs> That's a good point, Josh. But Danielle didn't say but, so, oh, I'm so I don't sorry. know if you cut her off.
1: Yeah, I'm still paused thinking of my next statement. <laughs>
3: but. <laughs> <laughs>